This is the Monroeville Christian Church podcast, where you can find sermons, Bible studies, and other biblical content produced by Monroeville Christian Church. My name is Covey Wise. I'm one of the preachers at Monroeville Christian Church. We're committed to teaching, training, and transforming lives for Christ, and we invite you to grow with us. It is good to be here. Uh, we did have I, I was I was invited today to to attend a a home school outing, which I've never done before. I'd never done that before. I'd never, never done that. And we went to the zoo, an aquarium. And for the first time in my life, I was, I was told at the zoo to kill an animal. It was, yeah, yeah, there you go, it was. What's it called? A lantern? Spotted, spotted lantern fly. Never heard of them. Never heard of them. They haven't made it to Ohio. Y'all can have them. Keep them right here. But I thought, I thought it was weird. It's this really pretty moth-looking thing on the ground. Step on it. And all the kids, man, they... <laughs> oh, what kind of zoo do you people have here? At home, we call that a butcher shop. No, that's not true. But I had a great time. I had a great, great time. Lots of children. Lots and lots of children took part in that. And it was a great, great, it was a great day. I appreciate that invitation. And, and thank you all for letting me share in that, those who were there. It was, it was a good, and then we left. We stopped and got ice cream. And man, I don't know if the day could have got any better. Now we get to come here together. So I guess the day can get better. I want to start by stating a, what I believe is a really obvious fact. We all go through difficult times. Is that, is that right? All right, I'll get it. here we go. If you've ever gone through a difficult time of any sort, variety, type, raise your hand right up. All right, I was right. Yes, we all go through difficult times, or most of us. Anyway, as Christians, we ought not be surprised when we face these types of struggles in our lives. Peter wrote to the early church, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. Paul wrote to Timothy, a promise to Christians. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's a promise. And Jesus himself explained that in the world, you have tribulation. Troubles, problems, suffering, heartaches, disappointments, all of these are simply a part of this sinful and broken world in which we live. And they are to be expected in, in everyone's life, but particularly in the life of a follower of Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to invite you to turn tonight to Daniel chapter 3. The third chapter of the book of Daniel. Now, I'm not going to read the entire chapter. I'm going to summarize it. But we're going to be there. We're going to look at a few verses, ideas from Daniel chapter 3 in a few moments. So here's what's going on and leading up to chapter 3 and in. The southern kingdom of Judah, remember the kingdom had split, following the, the kingdom of Israel had split uh, following Solomon's reign and his two of his sons, two of his sons, one son and, and one 
mostly Jeroboam and Rehoboam, they split the kingdom. And so there's a northern kingdom of Israel, there's a southern kingdom of Judah. The southern kingdom of Judah has now been taken into captivity in Babylon. And many of the best and the brightest young men, teenagers from, from the Hebrews, were taken into the court of the king, King Nebuchadnezzar at the time. And so King Nebuchadnezzar, as we're going to find out here in chapter 3, has this huge golden statue made. And then he issues a decree that at the right time, after all these instruments play, at the right time, everybody in the kingdom, everybody who hears the sound of these instruments, is to bow down and worship this golden image. And so in chapter 3, we're also introduced to three young Hebrew men who don't do that, who will not bow down to this golden image. The punishment for not bowing down to this golden image is that they would be thrown into a furnace of blazing fire. They don't bow down. They're given a second chance. They will not bow down. They're thrown into this fiery furnace. And in the furnace, this fourth man appears. And they're walking around the three of the Hebrew boys and this fourth man. They're walking around and they appear to be unharmed. And the king calls them up, calls them out of there. And this, it's a miracle because when you're thrown into fire, you burn. That's what happens. Anybody ever been around a campfire? You don't have to be in the fire to smell like the campfire, right? And the scripture tells us their clothes weren't even singed. There was no smell of smoke on them. That's a miracle. God works a miracle here through these young men. And then Nebuchadnezzar, in repentance, I suppose, makes a decree that no one can speak against the God of the Hebrews. And that's, so I skipped a bunch of details in that. But that's what happens in a summary. So I have done that. We're going to see a little more as we go through the passage. And so these young men, they were, well, they were facing difficult times, weren't they? At least a, a difficult situation. And for all of us, there are hard times. We have to face family struggles. We're forced to endure pain physically from time to time. We have to endure the loss of loved ones. There are financial woes. We have to face crises in our spiritual life from time to time. We live in a world that has, in a culture that has seemingly turned itself upside down, trying very hard to do what is wrong and call it what is right. And the list of hardships that we have to endure could go on and on and on. So how do we endure? How do we find the strength and where do we find the strength to continue when sometimes it seems that all hope is lost? How do we keep on running the race, fighting the good fight, when we face these difficult trials in our lives? Well, we're going to allow this account here in Daniel chapter 3 to answer the questions for us this evening. And as we look to this passage, I pray that each of us, every one of us, will find ourselves encouraged by the faith of these three young men. And I pray that we'll find a renewed strength of our own in our God. Before we look into that passage, if you would, let's pray together. God, you are, you are almighty. 
You are eternal. You are all-knowing. And we bow humbly before you this evening. So very thankful for who you are, for how you have revealed yourself to us through your creation, through your word, and through your son. Tonight we thank you for this body of believers gathered here, for each congregation represented tonight, each household represented. And Father, we thank you for your word. We can learn from it, that we can study from it, that you can speak to us through your word. And I pray that you will tonight. Help me to speak your words, not mine. Help me to get out of the way that you can speak to each of us through your word tonight. Father, for the times that we fall short, for the times that we sin, Father, for the times that, that our faith is not what it should be, we ask for your forgiveness. We ask for your strength and for the joy that is inexpressible, for the peace that you promise that passes all understanding, especially when we go through difficult times. May our faith in you be strong. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So there are, I have an outline, and I'm going to share what the main points are. For those of you who want to write those things down, like to do that, you can always go back and you can watch on, let's see, Facebook, right? Facebook and YouTube, and there's a podcast. I don't even know what that is, but there, it's out there somewhere. Whatever that is, it's there. You can listen. Or you can write it down now. Or you can do both. You can do all of that. But here's the first point. There will always be, there always have been, and there will always be false gods. Until Jesus returns anyway. There will always be false gods. Our story begins, as I said, in the kingdom of Babylon. While Nebuchadnezzar is king and, and he's conquered the nation of Judah. Along with Jerusalem and the temple of God. He's brought those best and the brightest of the young men back to serve in his court. Daniel was one of those young men. So were Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Those are not their Hebrew names, but those are the names we know them by most commonly. We pick up the story where Nebuchadnezzar has built this magnificent golden statue. I believe it's something like 90 feet tall. The king decreed that at the proper time, every person from every language must bow down and worship this golden image. And the king decreed that anyone who didn't fall down would be thrown into the fiery furnace. These young men worshipped the Lord God Almighty. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They worshipped the Lord God Almighty, and they worshipped him alone. And in their faith, and through their faith, they decided to stand their ground. When the king said, you have to do this. And then the king's henchmen said, oh king, some of these Hebrew fellows aren't doing what you told them to do. So they get a second chance. And then this begins this conversation between Nebuchadnezzar and these three young men. These three young men whom Nebuchadnezzar was very fond. He, he loved these young men. He knew that they were good men. But in chapter, verse 15 here of chapter 3, as they are, the, the young men are brought before Nebuchadnezzar, he makes a challenge, does the king. The king makes a challenge. And this challenge sounds very much like a challenge that our world would make to the church today. And here's what he says. And he doesn't just challenge these men. He challenges their God. 
And he says, And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Man, that's some boasting right there. What God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? So these young men, in all likelihood teenagers, they had a decision to make. I want, I want to step out of the sermon for a moment. You know, sometimes in our culture, teenagers get a really bad rap. We were, anybody, anybody here older than a teenager? Anybody older? Oh, come on, hold your hands. If you're older than a teenager, if you have passed 19, that's you. Anybody? All right. You know what you were for uh, seven years? A teenager. And you lived through it. But teenagers, you know, they, they get this. I think I, what I believe is a bad rap. You know, our culture wants to set teenagers aside to, well, you know, they're not ready to do anything. They can't do anything. They're, they're not smart enough. They think they know everything. Aren't you glad we didn't when we were teenagers? Here are three teenagers that know exactly where they stand and where they're going to stand and where they're going to continue to stand who show us what faith in God looks like. But they have this decision to make. They could bow down to this golden image or they could refuse. Those are the two options. Bow or do not. Refusing to bow down would mean certain death in the furnace. Certain death. Consenting to worship the golden image would save their lives. Would also mean turning their back on their God and on his commands. Remember in Exodus chapter 20, verses 4 and 5, Moses was given the Ten Commandments, and, and part of that, part of those was this. You shall not make for yourself an idol. Okay, well, they haven't done that. Or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or on the water under the earth. Well, they haven't done that. You shall not worship them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Had they decided, you know what, we're going to go ahead and worship this thing, we're going to bow down, even if it's not real. They would have been breaking God's command. So what would they do? A better question, I believe, was what would we do? What would we do? See, there are a lot of choices placed before us every day. Today, maybe the challenge before us seems to be, will I be faithful to God? Even when there are so many distractions and so many alternatives. Man, the devil is pulling people away from the church in droves. And he's not doing it in, in bunches, he's one little temptation to miss this service or one little excuse to miss this fellowship, and he's drawn us away. And the choice is ours, what we're going to do, right? Will I continue to have a relationship with my Savior even through these troubling and maybe even scary times? Will I make my relationship with my Redeemer the priority in my life? See, those are choices that we have to make. Decisions that we get to make. And each and every moment, our adversary, the devil, will do all he can to tempt us to make the wrong choice. And the question then would be, will we fall down before the false gods and the idols of this world? Will we allow the ease of this world to win out? And I want to step out. And this is not really stepping out of the sermon. This is, I, want to, I want to make an application right here, right now. And I want us to understand something. Because all of us are sitting here thinking... Man, if, if the government built some 90-foot golden statue and made me, forced me, tried to force me to bow down, I would say no. I would say, right? We're, right? Is that right? 
Yeah, is that right? Is that right? I'm going to say no right now. I'm not going to do that. But you know, that's not the only false idol in our world, right? Anybody got a dollar bill with them right now? We got a dollar bill. There was a time in our culture where we used to say common. It was common to say the almighty God. But somehow that's changed. And now it's the almighty dollar. Anybody heard that? Yeah, so it's a lot of times money can become a false. There's nothing wrong with money. There's nothing wrong with having a lot of it. But we cannot allow it to be our God. It's a tool, not a master. God is our master. There are a lot of fame. And how many Facebook likes can I get? I have no idea. I don't know. Probably not many for me because I don't follow. I follow five people on Facebook. That's it. Five. I'm going to tell you who they are. My wife, our two sons, and their two wives. That's it. That's it. Anything else y'all got going on? If we're friends on Facebook, I don't know about it. Unless you tag me. So don't start that. No, that's okay if you want to do that. Did you guys tag me? I saw there, somebody said there were pictures today from the zoo, right? Did you people tag me on that? You did. Okay. There's out there now. No, it's okay. No, they're all kind of these. They're these false guys. I'll tell you what. Sports can be a false god to us, right? It's a, it's a good distraction. And being involved in sports, man, you learn a lot of, of great life lessons from being involved in sports. But it can, be a, a, it can be a false idol. It can be a false god. Our family can become a false god to us. See, here's the idea. Anything that comes before the God to us becomes a false God. All right? So these young men, they had this choice to make. What are they going to do? And we have a choice to make. What are we going to do? What are we going to allow to come before our worship of God? The right answer is nothing. Nothing. So what did they decide? Verses 16 through 18. We get what I believe is one of the most powerful displays of faith in the entire Bible. In the entire Bible. Here's point number two. We need to understand this. If there are always going to be false gods, and there are, until Jesus comes back, then every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But until then, there will be. The second point is, our God will always be there. He will always be there. Shadrach, Meshach, verse 16 through 18. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, right? What God is there who can save you from my hand? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. If it be so, that they're thrown into the fiery furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Wait. Man, here it comes. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Woo! Man, that's good stuff. These are teenagers. And they have this kind of incredible faith. Remember the question Nebuchadnezzar just asked. What God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? These young men knew that because of their relationship with the almighty God, they didn't have to answer King Nebuchadnezzar concerning their unwillingness to bow down before his idol. 
They knew exactly which God was able to deliver them out of his hands. It didn't matter what the world around them knew or didn't know or that they worshiped God or didn't worship God. They knew there is one God and he is able to deliver. They knew that. They knew that their God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our God, was certainly able to deliver them from this fiery furnace. And they go on to boldly say to the king, not only do we know that he's able, he will deliver us out of your hand. Man, their faith is unshakable. He will deliver us out of your hand. No matter what kind of torturous death Nebuchadnezzar might have threatened them with, they were going to be faithful to God. And then this next phrase. In this next phrase, these young men utter what I believe is one of the most profound statements in the Bible. And it is powerful. Even if he does not, even if God does not save us from the fiery furnace, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Even if God, in his infinite wisdom, does not save these boys from this painful, agonizing death, there was no way they were going to turn their backs on God by bowing to this blasphemous statue. They kept their eyes above the pain, above the torture, above the agony of the world. They weren't focused on what was going on here and now. They were focused on what is above. Man, that sounds a lot like what the Apostle Paul wrote to the early church, doesn't it? Fix your eyes on things above. And that's exactly what we need to be doing. We need to be fixing our eyes on things above. Are there things in this world that go wrong? Are there painful things in this world? Are there, is there suffering for each and every one of us in this world? Yes, we all raise our hands. But we don't need to focus on that. We need to focus on the fact that our God is and always has been and always will be. He is God. And I believe that is exactly the kind of attitude God's looking for in his people today. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 3, and I'm going to make, I'm going to show you how I, I'm going to apply this. Matthew 18, 3, Jesus taught, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you're converted and become like children. Now understand, he's not talking about being childish. He's talking about being childlike. Not childish. We've got that. Childlike. That's what he's talking about. So, went to the zoo today, and there were a lot of moms there. There were a couple of dads. I'm a dad. I was there, so I was one of those. Not of those children. So, and a lot of them had packed lunch, right? Which was cool. I thought it was good. They'd all, they had these lunches. You know what? I didn't see, I don't know that a single child packed a single lunch today. You know who did? The parents. The parents. You think any one of those children was concerned that they may not get to eat today? Why not? Because they trust, right? They trust the parents. They trust. You think one of them is concerned about where they might sleep tonight? Hell no. Why? Because they trust. You think they're concerned about world affairs today? No. Why? Because they trust. You see these Hebrew boys? You know what they did? 
They trusted God. That's what God wants from us. And I believe that's what Jesus taught. Unless you're converted, become like children. What he's talking about is this childlike faith and trust in our Father. Trust Him. He will provide. He will take care of us. God doesn't want us to rely on our own strength. He doesn't want us to rely on our own wisdom. But to fully rely on His strength, on His power, and His deliverance. By the way, isn't that what faith is all about? Trusting what Jesus did on the cross? That's faith. Trusting God. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 and 6 remind us, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. Not, not, not smooth. God's not a helicopter parent. He's not. He's not one of those. But He'll make your paths straight. Don't lean on your own understanding, but trust in Him. Too often when things don't go the way we planned, the way we had things laid out, and when it doesn't seem that our prayers are being answered the way we want, we want to blame God. All of us need to learn a lesson from these Hebrew boys. Things were certainly not going the way they had planned, the way they thought they were going to. It, seemed, it would seem that they were bound for certain death. But they never blamed God. They never questioned God. They simply trusted God. Through their faith in His sovereignty, they relied on God in their hour of need, no matter the outcome. No matter what happens, they were trusting God. If He saves us, great. If He doesn't save us, we're still not going to worship your stuff. Which brings us to the third aspect of this story. True to His word, King Nebuchadnezzar has these Hebrew Hebrews bound and thrown into the fiery furnace. He's so furious, and I know some of the children already know this story. Man, it's awesome. So, so he's so furious that he has the furnace heated seven times hotter than it normally was. I don't know how you do that, but the Bible says he did, so I believe he did. Seven times so hot that, that the soldiers who threw these Hebrews into the fire, they died. That's hot. That's really hot. I don't know. I don't know how hot. Crazy hot. I've never put my hand in a furnace because, no. <laughs> but I can't even imagine the furnace heated seven times hotter than it normally is. I mean, fire is here, right? The fire in my furnace is this temperature. And this is seven times hot. No, no, not none of it. But that's what happened. And so the king, then King Nebuchadnezzar notices this amazing thing. God protects his children through the fire. I chose that word very carefully. God protects his children through the fire. Verses 24 through 26. Then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, was astounded and stood up in haste. He said to his high officials, Was it not three men we cast into the midst of the fire? They replied to the king, Certainly, O king. They're yes men. But this was true anyway. He said, Look, I see four men loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth man is like son of God." Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire, responded. So apparently the fire has calmed down a little bit by now. He came to the furnace door and he responded and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out, you servants of the Most High God, and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. So these three young men had just declared to Nebuchadnezzar that their God was able to deliver them from his hand. Who? 
he said, is able to deliver. What God is there who can deliver you from my hand? Now he knows. Now he has been shown. He was. God was able to deliver them from the fiery furnace. And the king is seeing God's deliverance with his own eyes. Three men walking around in the furnace, apparently unharmed by the intense heat. There's a fourth man in the fire with them. Nebuchadnezzar is amazed at the fact that these men are alive. They ought not be. They should not be. He's even more amazed at the appearance of the fourth man. Now this may have been an angel of God. It may have been the angel of the Lord. It may have been the pre-incarnate Christ. I have my opinion, but that's all it is. We simply don't know. But whoever the fourth man was, by the power of God, he was able to protect the prisoners that Nebuchadnezzar had sentenced to death. And that reminds me of one of the greatest principles of Christianity. A principle that gets lost a lot of times. And a principle gets lost in my life a lot of times. This principle gets lost sometimes when we're going through hard times. When we're suffering, when we're going through difficulties in our life, when we're having issues with relationships, this principle gets lost. And, and here is the great lesson. And if you don't get anything else out of this tonight, get this. I hope you get other stuff. But if you don't get anything, get this. <coughs> Not that. The great lesson from the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being cast in the fiery furnace is that God saved them through the fire God did not save them from the fire. God did not save these young men from the fire. Could God have done that? Could God have struck down all of Nebuchadnezzar's court and all of his officials so that these men went free? Absolutely, God could have done that. But he didn't. And he's not going to do that in our lives either. He is not going to protect us from the fire. He's not going to protect us from what's going on. He's going to protect us through it. He's going to protect us through the ordeals that we go through in this life. He's going to protect us through the hard times that we go through in this life. God is going to be with us. Let's just for the to the sake of the of argument. Man, good thing nobody's sitting in the front row. I'm getting fired up. That's a spit zone right now. Amen. <laughs> Woo! Let's go. Here we go now. That's right. Somebody can say amen. I told you what that does. <clears throat> For the sake of argument, let's just say that the fourth man in the fire was the pre-incarnate Christ. Let's just say that. Let's say it was Jesus. Right? God manifest in Jesus. God the Son walking with them. Protecting them through the fire. Right? They were thrown in. They walked around. They were brought up out. He protected them through the fire. Is that the same God indwelling us when we are buried in the watery grave of baptism? Isn't that the same God in us? Go like, yes, do it like this. Yeah, yes, that's the same God. Amen. Yes, that's the same God. So how is God able to deliver us through the trials of this life? Because he is there with us. He goes through it with us. He has gone through every trial that we have ever gone through, that we ever will go through, that every person has ever gone through, and all of those trials, all of those problems, all of those sins were nailed on the cross with Jesus. 
and they're taken away. God's not going to protect us from trials. He's not going to protect us from the fire. He's going to protect us through it. In John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus taught, In the world you have tribulation. I'm so glad he didn't stop there, even though that's true. Absolutely true. In the world you have tribulation. But take courage, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. And then, of course, as we already talked about, Paul writing to Timothy, the apostle wrote in 2 Timothy 3, chapter, chapter 3, verse 12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You see, in this world, we have problems. We have difficulties. We have heartaches. We have disappointments. Look at the life of the apostle Paul. We talked about him earlier. Arguably the, the most devout Christian, the greatest Christian of all time. And one of the most persecuted men of all time. Stephen, one of the first deacons of the church, was stoned for preaching Christ. James, one of the original apostles, one of the closest friends of Jesus, was killed by the sword. John the Baptist was beheaded for preaching morality in a wicked culture. Do we live in a wicked culture? We do. We do. Are we proclaiming God's morality? See, if we do... That's what Paul promised. All who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In verse 28 of the passage there in Daniel 3 says this. Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel and delivered his servants who put their trust in him. Violating the king's command. See, there's a, there's a, there's a principle, isn't it? There's a principle there in the Old Testament that applies to us today under the covenant of grace. And we read about it in the pages of Acts. Should we obey men or should we obey God? Now, most times, those are not going to be in disagreement. Most times, they're not. But sometimes, what man says we should do are things that God says we can't do. And we need to understand that. And, and Nebuchadnezzar came to realize that. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who sent his angel, God, the God of Shadrach, who sent his angel and delivered his servants, who put their trust in him, violating the king's command, and yielded their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own. So the question for each of us here this evening, for every Christian, here and across the globe, around the globe, in every time, the question is, are we going to put our trust in God? Are we going to put our trust fully in God? Am I going to put my trust in God, knowing that he can save me through the fire and that he will save me through the fire? Am I going to put my trust in him? Yep. I'm going to make some confirmations here. There's bad stuff all around us. Yep. Coronavirus hasn't gone away, no matter how much we want it to. And yet, the politicians still look out for themselves. And yet, there's still violence and there's still racism in our nation. And yet, people will still disappoint you. And yet, it might even be easier to follow the ways of the world than to choose to be faithful to God. But before we throw in the towel, before we decide, you know what, I, this Christian stuff is way too hard. Before we decide that, let's remember, 
Our Savior has overcome this world. And He allows us the opportunity to overcome the world as well. Life may beat us down. It may knock us around. It may even scare us. But our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. Our faith is in God. The eternal God. He is the one who saved his children through the fiery furnace. He is the one who saved us through the sacrifice of his son. He is the one who saved us and saves us through the hardships of everyday life. So again, the question is very simple. And I'm going to invite the, the fellows to come up and, and they're going to lead us in a, in a song of invitation, a song of decision. Have you noticed that I invite them up and then I keep going for like five or ten minutes after I do that? Yeah, they probably noticed that too. Amen. 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 What time is it? Let's see. By the way, anybody know what it means when a preacher looks at his watch? Absolutely nothing. That's what it means. We, gonna, we, man, when we come together, I enjoy being with the people of God so very much. Man, I enjoy, I enjoy. And then, you know, we, 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 go, we go to our homes, and, and then tomorrow we're, we're going to go out into jobs. We're going to go out into the world. And uh, I'm going to try. Anybody, anybody, I hope you're not like me. I mean, I, I think I would be a much better Christian if nobody else ever drove. I believe that. I do. I believe that. I mean, I don't get road rage exactly, but I get something very near to it. And here's the way it is. This, I want to share this with you. I believe there are three kinds of drivers in the world. That's it. Only three. Three kinds of drivers. In our society, at least. I don't know about it. I don't know. Here, three kinds of drivers. And here they are. I'll explain them to you. There are those people that drive absolutely, incredibly too slow, and they're always in front of you. And then there are those people who drive incredibly too fast and are always flying around me. And then there's this third group, and I may be the only one in it, who drives exactly the right speed all the time. I say that to say yeah, we, have to, we, have to, we have to be out in this world. And there are things that are going to aggravate us. There are things that are going to frustrate us. There are things that might make us mad. And beyond the, that inconvenience of other people not driving right, that's an inconvenience. There are real heartaches and hardships in this world. Real, there, 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 there's pain. Real, real pain in this world. And maybe, maybe all of us have experienced that to some degree. Keep trusting he will always be there for you, and he will always be there with you, in you. Apostle John wrote to the early church one of the last books of our Bible, one of the last letters written, and he wrote, Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And then we gotta, we gotta, we gotta hang on to that. We gotta trust that, that the God of the universe is so much greater than anything that's going on in our life.
He knows what we've been through. He knows what we're going through. He knows what lies ahead of us. But he also knows that if we remain faithful to him through his son, there is a glorious Sabbath rest that awaits the people of God. We call that heaven. And there is a glorious heaven above. What is that worth? What kind of trials do we have to go through to have that? That's the question that we have to be able to answer. Maybe a better way to word that is, is there anything that we don't want to go through and it's worth forfeiting heaven? We're going to sing that song of invitation now. Has it been five, ten minutes yet? And here's the invitation. If you are not yet in Christ, he is not with you. That's simple. That's the way it is. But he can be. But he can be tonight. If you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the one who died on the cross for your sins, you don't have to know everything about Jesus. You don't have to know everything that he did. You don't have to have the Bible memorized. You simply have to know that he is who he said he was. And he did what he said he did for you. And once you come to that understanding, you're going to want to turn away from that selfish life you've been living and, and turn in obedience to him. Confess him before men. Acknowledge that he is the Lord of your life, that he is the Son of God. Allow yourself to be buried with him in baptism where your sins are washed away. And his spirit, here we go, his spirit, the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, will come and indwell your life. What's he do there? He seals your salvation. You have the Spirit of God and you rise from the watery grave to walk in new, abundant, everlasting, eternal life. And from that moment, so long as you don't kick him out, your destination is heaven. Your destination is heaven. I want to encourage you, if you have not yet allowed Jesus to save your eternal soul, you can do that tonight. If you're here tonight and you're a Christian and you want brothers and sisters to pray for you because you're going through some, some difficult time right now. And yes, yes, you've heard that God is there with you and Jesus is going to go through with you and God will save you through the fire. But if you just want us to pray for you, come, let that be known. Let us, let us join the fight with you. If you have a decision that you'd like to make known, wherever that may be, would you simply step into the aisle and come forward as we stand and sing together just now?